it's Prithi and welcome back to the season one finale of It's Pretty Personal, a podcast all about sharing South Asian stories. But don't worry, season two will be back in Jan 2021. So watch this space and be sure to follow me on Instagram at Pretty Personal because I will be releasing some exclusive clips, teasers and behind the scenes footage, which I'm actually really, really excited for. But wow, season one finale. I say it's season one finale, it like, Kind of is, but kind of isn't because I am releasing a bonus episode next week. So tune in for that. But to share some numbers with you, that's 20 episodes, nearly 5,000 listens in 26 countries. What? I don't even think I've been to 26 countries. So I just wanted to share my gratitude with you guys who are listening. And speaking of gratitude, smooth segue. That is one of the topics for today's episode. I am joined by life coach Sunil Mack, who also has a podcast. We talk about ego how to truly feel grateful and what dating's like from a guy's perspective because in some of my earlier episodes we have kind of spoken about dating but it's always been from me aka a female's perspective and I've always wondered like what it's like from a guy's side like how did they feel when they need to ask a guy out on a date or when they're expected to pay on that first date honestly it was so interesting to learn about the guy side of it like stay tuned for that because it's hella interesting I also do want to wish you guys a Merry Christmas if you're celebrating. And I know in the UK, it isn't what we're expecting because of the introduction of Tier 4. Tier 4 life! I'm actually doing peace signs, but you can't see me doing peace signs. So don't know why I did that. But it basically just means that we have stricter restrictions. But to me, Christmas has always been a Sunday with Christmas food because I have a small immediate family who I celebrate with. But I know that's not the case for everybody. And people were planning on seeing extended family over this period. But I do want to say that let's give ourselves a pat on the back because we made it in one piece. Well, semi one piece. There might be a few mental breakdowns that may or may not have happened. But I also want to say that we kind of just accepted what happened. And that's another thing we talk about in today's episode. So without further ado, enjoy my chat with Sunil. Welcome back to It's Pretty Personal. Today I have a really special guest. He is a life coach who also has his own podcast. I have Sunil with me today. Hi Sunil. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, doing really well. Thank you. Thanks for having me on your podcast. No worries. I don't really have that many like male guests. So you're one of the minority of male guests on my podcast. (laughs) That's a privilege then I feel (laughs) honoured. How have you been? How's your week been? Yeah, good. It's been good. I mean, you know, obviously we're back into national lockdown restrictions tomorrow. So I think it was one of those things where, you know, a lot of people saw it coming. So it's difficult. It's just a weird, strange time. It's a strange year. I think, you know, it's unprecedented. It's having an effect on people in so many different ways. And I think, you know, just trying to get through each day, each week as it comes and and keeping mind, body active, I think is really key to that. I really relate to you, although I literally cannot stand the word unprecedented. Do you remember how many times people said unprecedented in the first lockdown? I was like, please, like if I had a pound, but every single time someone said unprecedented, I would have a lot of pounds. So you try to tell me, oh, you're a pound now. <laughs> you basically owe me a pound <laughs> now. Right, okay, to pay to be on a podcast. <laughs> I think the first lockdown, because we were so like, we've never done it before. We were, everyone kind of was a bit excited about it. But now since we've technically been locked down, for like pretty much the whole year and I know that like we kind of were allowed to leave in that summer but like I work from home so I'm constantly at home all the time and it just feels like no end in sight kind of thing which is really yeah, frustrating. Yeah. Well that's one of the the most stressful things is like not knowing when something's going to end 
There's nothing worse than uncertainty. You know, one of the scariest things for people is not knowing what's happening next. Change is scary at the best of times. Uncertainty is scary when things are going relatively well in your life. So to go through a period like we are right now, where it's like there is no certainty, there is no security in what's going to happen next is scary. It really is. And it's like that uncertainty that's literally that for me caused me so much just anxiousness. That's like kind of the reason why I feel down sometimes is because, you know, when you just don't know what's happening, you don't feel like you're in control of your life kind of thing because someone else is calling the shots. And I think that's why a lot of people are a bit like, I want my life back. No, it's true. Uncertainty, control, all those things are so important to people. I mean, you know, I remember having this conversation when this first really started and, you know, we think we have so much control over so much in our lives, but really we don't have that much control. And this is one of the biggest lessons of that, of, you know, we, we have control over things that we take for granted or we think we have control over them. Like, you know, we can go to the gym when we want and we choose not to go because we're lazy or we can do all these sorts of things. We can see our friends when we want, we can see our family, but we don't because we're too busy. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, actually, I don't have control over those things. But, you know, we can only control the controllables and there's such a cliche and it's one of those things everybody always says, but really it's controlling what you can right now and trying to make the most of that situation. And, you know, that's not the answer people are looking for. The question people have is, when is my life going to go back to normal as I used to remember it? But sometimes we just have to adjust to the situation as it is. And that by no means is trying to make it sound easy because one thing about this is it's not easy and, and I'm not here to be blindly positive and say, oh, everything will be fine. It's great. Everything's positive. Just look at the good things. It's hard. It's really tough. It's really tough for everybody. No, definitely. Especially when it comes to adapting. This is a really weird thought that I have is the fact that like we've never been the age that we are until we're the age that we are. Right. So this is the first time I'm 25. Right. So I don't have experience being 25. So it's that whole thing of like adapting to that situation and whatever life throws at you. And it's like, for example, like the first time you're a parent or the first time like you go to school, like you don't have like an experience about it, but you adapt. And I feel like when you start thinking and seeing stuff like that, you realize like, actually, we've adapted to so much stuff in life. We just never realized it. Yeah, that's one of the things about, you know, human nature is that we do find a way to adapt like, you know, put yourself in a situation and eventually you'll adapt to it. You know, it's like if you go to the gym all the time and the first day you go, it's like your body's in bits because you haven't been and then you go regularly and your body adapts. And it's the same with things to do with the mind. You get used to your situations and your circumstances. It's one of the reasons why people are always saying like, you know, it's not the situation or the circumstance you're in, it's how you feel about it because the situation you, you do adapt to is, you know, giving you uh, like a, an example of that. I was reading this thing about people who make millions of pounds and to them, it's not exciting anymore because they've adapted to having that million. You know, when they first made it, it might've been like, oh my God, I've finally made it in life. I've reached this point that for me and I'm here and it's the celebration of it comes. And then it's like, what next? Because you get used to it. It's like Wi-Fi. It's like uh, fast speed Wi-Fi. Like it's, it's just, we're so used to it now. If you get a slow connection, you're like, oh my God, what is this? How terrible is this? And it's like, that's a luxury. You still have to remember that. But because you're so adapted and used to it, you start taking things for granted. Honestly, that was a one time very recently that our internet went out for like two hours. I did not know what to do with myself. I was like, what do I do for two hours? I'm like, uh, read a book. Yeah, like you said, we're so used to having internet. We're always on our phones or laptops or like Netflix, whatever it might be. 
Yeah, and we just get used to it, and our life becomes molded into you know the technology that we've got, and it's like oh, it's, now it becomes from a luxury or a, something that we're grateful to to an expectation. Like we should have this stuff, and then the lack of gratitude that we forget, which is a, another definitely a human thing to take things for granted. It's not a, an evil. It makes, doesn't make you a bad person because you take things for granted. It's just that you're so accustomed to it. You forget to enjoy it or forget to appreciate it. Yeah, that's really, really true. And I think it's like when you start expecting stuff, you don't be grateful for it. I think gratefulness is that to me is the key of having a positive mindset is that you need to remember there are so many people out there in the world that want what you want. Like they want your life whilst you want someone else's life and they want someone else's life and the circle continues. There's so much stuff that we take for granted and we always just want more, but there are a lot of people out there that just want what we have. And it's like, when you start thinking about it, it's very humbling. It's, it's true. It's so, it's so humbling. And it's like society has a huge part to play in that because, you know, we're taught that if you don't have more, you're less successful by definition. It's like, it's a crazy concept because it's just breeding within us this mentality of, oh, I don't have what so-and-so's got, so therefore I'm not successful or I'm not worthy or good enough. And, you know, that causes so many self-esteem challenges or lack of gratitude for the things you've got because it's not good enough by someone else's standards and you know gratitude's a hard thing to really truly get your head around to to be honestly truly and genuinely grateful for what you've got because I think that gratitude is one of those things where people they know they should be grateful and they're kind of grateful but they're not really that grateful either because they're like I'm, I'm yeah I'm happy that I've got a roof over my head and I've got you know food to eat and clean water to drink, but I still want this other thing that I haven't got yet. It's like we, gratitude's a difficult thing to really, really practice. And that's the key word really is practice. It's not something that you're going to just get right. You have to train your mind to be grateful and train your mind to see the things that you're grateful for and understand and spend time figuring out why you're grateful for it. But, you know, with all this mindset stuff, it's a journey. There, there is no final answer and it's a constant journey and you're not always going to get it right. And you're definitely going to get it wrong some days, but you know, for me, it's not about getting it right all the time. It's an unrealistic expectation. It's about getting it right more often than you get it wrong. I think that's the key to all of this stuff. That's so true. Like one thing that like what you talk about gratitude, the thing that I really struggle with, and I've been thinking about this a lot, is how can I still be grateful for what I have, but also want more? Because the two are oxymorons. It's like, I'm grateful for what I have, but I want this but then you're not really grateful for what you have if you want this. But there must be a balance that people strike because you can be grateful for what you have, but also want to pursue your dreams and achieve more. I just want to know your take on it. I think you, you can want more, but it's kind of like if you're anxious about wanting that more stuff and it makes you feel like, oh, I want this stuff and I feel bad that I haven't got it, that's an issue because you're chasing it from a place of fear and anxiety and a place of kind of like scarcity. So you can't be grateful for what you've got right now and also want more in, in a position of I want this stuff because I enjoy working hard and I have aspirations to do something. But if it's from a place of being grateful for having the opportunity to pursue that, that's different from a, if I don't get this stuff, then it, you know, it looks bad upon me. I think you make such a good point. You can be grateful for what you've got and want more. It all depends on how you want more though from what place is that coming from? It's like, what energy are you turning up with? Are you turning up with the energy of, I want more because if I don't, then you know, no one will like me or my life's not a success or people won't accept me. Is, it, is that why you want more? Because 
it's difficult to be grateful at the same time because it's not coming from a place of gratitude that is coming from a place of lack and, and gratitude's not about lack. It's about, I'm grateful for what I've got right now, no matter how big or how small it is. No, definitely. I think sometimes like it can come from a place of ego, which is, I think what you were describing was it was like ego play. And as soon as you like give into your ego, and I think that's a massive thing, like in general, I think there's a lot of people out there that have very big egos. And it's like the one most, I don't understand this. It's the most unattractive thing in a person is when someone has a big ego and you could tell they have a big ego. I don't know, like, they just feel like they're God's gift to the world. <laughs> yeah, I just have a thing with people with egos. I just don't like it. I mean, it's a tough one because, you know, you get people with big egos and, you know, it's generally the people, when we're talking about this kind of stuff, it's generally the kind of people who want to throw it in your face or make sure you know it. Having a big ego is one of the most unattractive things that someone could have. On the flip side of that, self-confidence and self-belief is one of the most attractive qualities that someone could have. And there's kind of a fine line between, because some people with self-confidence and self-belief are conceited and that's an ego, but there's a different type for me. It's like the big ego person who needs to show you that they're so good, needs other people to see it, has to put you down to feel good about themselves or has to you know, put themselves on a pedestal and make sure everybody see it. That's a very different type of ego from the ego of a person who goes, you know what, I know who I am and I'm comfortable with that. And you're either going to like it or not like it. And I'm not doing it, you know, push you away or make you feel bad about yourself. I'm doing it because it's who I am as a person. That's a beautiful ego, if yeah. ego is the right word for that. I feel like everyone has an ego. There's no one in the world that doesn't have an ego. Like we all do. When we say big ego, we're talking about those people that will literally pull you down or tell you that you're wrong and be like, in front of a whole room, that will embarrass you and be like, just to make themselves be the smart one in the room kind of thing. It's a very like dog eat dog mentality. Whilst I think the other mentality is just like self-confidence and like supporting other people and they want the best for you. So that, yeah, there's the two. There's the two. And it always, for me, it, like everything that I've trying to understand or learning about is mostly comes down to like, what energy are you starting this with? Because you could get someone with a big ego and someone who is just self-confident and actually really cares about you. And they could say the exact same thing to you. But you know the energy that that person said it to you with. It's not really about what you do. It's about where is it coming from? It's like, you know, we talked about gratitude a second ago. It's not about being grateful. It's about what's the feeling behind that? What are you coming with? What's your energy? Are you grateful because you really appreciate what you've got and you're really thankful for it? Or are you grateful because you're supposed to be grateful for that stuff? Because it's the same thing, but it's two different approaches to that, to that same thing. So for me, it's always about what's the intention behind what you're doing, because that really unlocks everything. You know, if you've got a friend who you know they're a good person and they have a go at you one day, you know that that's not, it's not their intention to hurt you. You know that they may be having a bad day. You understand and you can get over it. But someone whose intention is to hurt you, it's a whole different ballgame. No, I completely, completely agree. It, it is all about your intention at the end of the day. And that's why I think a lot of people like with big egos, like they end up because you know what your, their intent is behind it. And that's what's very unattractive about people. It's like, you know that they're going to put you down to make them feel better. You know, they're going to make you feel shit about yourself. Like you don't need that in your life, right? No, you don't. You don't. You know, people talk about protecting your energy and negativity and having to be surrounded by that. You don't need it in your life. And, you know, for some people, it's easier to not be around it. Some people it's in their household or it's a it's their family members or they've, you know, they can't escape it so easily, but protecting your energy in whatever way 
you can do that or we can do that is, is so, so valuable. Yeah, I think it's so important. Like in a weird way, that that's also a rarity. Like having the ability to protect your energy and creating those boundaries can be so difficult sometimes. And like you said, that's a skill in itself to create boundaries as well. People that can do that so well are so lucky because I think a lot of us are still like working on it. I love that you said a lot of people are still working on it because like I say, you know, my career job as a life coach is like one of those things where people think that that means you've got to get your shit together all the time. You've got to be perfect. And there's no such thing like just because I do this for a job doesn't mean I don't have my own stresses and troubles and tribulations and everybody, no matter what you do, no matter how good you are at what you do is work in progress. So number one thing is like beating yourself up isn't going to help because it just makes it worse. But number two is this whole thing about like, you know, people who can really create boundaries is absolutely a skill. And it's not something that comes easily because sometimes we have to create boundaries with people who we have really strong emotional connection with. And, you know, how do you do that? How do you do it when you live in the same house as someone and you need to create boundaries or they're just a negative person? And it's a skill and it takes time. And I think, again, it starts with intention, though. I was speaking to someone about how do you create boundaries or remove yourself from a negative person if you have to live with that person and you can't move out? Because, you know, some people would say, I'll move out then and live somewhere else. I think one of the tools that I think is really important is if you can't physically remove yourself from negativity, like create a mental removal from it. So imagine that you're protected from this. Imagine that there's a shield around you, a bubble around you, that these things just bounce off you. Like it's about creating an intention that I know I'm going to be in a situation where it's negative, where there's someone that's going to say negative things. I make the intention right now that this is not going to affect me. You know, you've got to train your mind like that. I'm going to see it and I'm not going to let it get to me. I know what it could do to me. I know how it could affect me. I know the anger that it could drive in me. I'm not going to let it do it. And that doesn't mean you're going to get it right, but you're going to practice that and you're going to put that to work. And bit by bit, time after time, you create a habit and you'll get better at it for sure. Definitely. I think that's so true. And I think it's easier said than done. Like, you know, when someone's like, well, just ignore it. Like you can't when you have such a strong emotional connection to someone because they know how to push your buttons. Like Exactly. To create those emotional barriers and like to be like, this isn't going to affect me. You try really hard, like you try. And it takes time. Like you said, it takes ages to build a habit. There's that whole thing about 21 days to make a habit, something like that. Yeah, it is. I think it's 21 days to, to make a habit. But the thing is, to break a habit, it's like takes about five seconds. Exactly. <laughs> but the thing is as well, like, I think we've got such high expectations of ourselves as well. And I think that's one of the things that really makes it difficult because you tell yourself that you know, it's not going to get to you. Create this mental barrier, visualize that you're going to be okay through this next situation. And they, and they do it and they, and they fail or they, it doesn't go as well as they thought. And then like, oh, it didn't work. You know, I'm just going to kind of give up. It takes practice. The first time you do anything, you're not going to be that good at it. You know, like, let's not beat ourselves up for the small steps we make. It's like children who are learning to walk. If you've ever been around a child and seen them walk, like they fall down every two seconds, but you never, well, unless you've got a really harsh parent, you never see the parents go, can't you just do it yet? Like they celebrate the small improvement, you know, the fact that they were able to stand for a little bit longer or they took one step. And that is what we get wrong so often is, we notice all the failures and we just demonize ourselves for making a mistake, but we never celebrate the successes and we never, we really fail to celebrate the small successes because we don't deem them worthy. It's like we're either perfect or we're not worthy. And that's not what it's about. It's about constant growth and progression. It's like 
you got something a little bit better, you waited five seconds before you shouted at him, then great. Celebrate the fact that you waited five seconds. Like you can get better by celebrating your success. That's so true. It's all about celebrating like the little wins. And like you said, like as a kid, we all did celebrate the little wins. Like when we got our pen license or we'd got 10 out of 10 out of spelling tests, right? Like we always used to be like, oh my God. So why is it now that we went from that to now being like, oh my God, I didn't do it. I'm going to give up now. We went from celebrating little wins as a kid to now literally being like, it's do or die kind of thing. Like that's a lot of people's mindsets now. Definitely. I'm not really even sure where that switch comes in, but you're right. When you're a kid, you know, like you get your name on the wall and on the good wall anyway. And uh, like people are like, oh, amazing. That's brilliant. Well done. You know, and then we somehow we get to this point in life where it's like nothing we do feels good enough anymore. And I'm not really sure where that switch you know, I'm just trying to wrap my brains now thinking, where does that come in? And, you know, really, it's not important where it comes. The important thing is that we fall into the trap of, you know, when people talk about losing your childhood essence and that childhood joy that you had. We also lose that appreciation that we had when we were children, when things were brand new to us. And it probably comes down to the same thing of, you know, we've experienced more of life now. So the, the bar's even higher, isn't it? Small things aren't worth celebrating anymore because they're not good enough. We, we always seem like we need to go to the next level. We're in a society that promotes success. Success is everything. Financial success is everything. You know, professional success is everything. And therefore, like these small wins, they're not worthy anymore because they're not part of that larger success point. So I think it's probably the fact that we get used to small successes and we don't appreciate them so much anymore. And, and our expectations for ourselves is so high. Definitely. I think that's so true. And I don't know if this is a South Asian thing, but being South Asian, we're both South Asian. I feel like we've always been like model minority, the smart ones in class. Like I feel like there's always been high expectations put on us, whether that be from society, whether it be from your parents, from school, whatever it might be. And I feel like now, I know for me in the last couple of years, I've become really scared of failing. I never want to fail exam. I will put so much pressure on myself. It will be like, even if I like mess a little thing up at work, like, I don't know what it is that we've been conditioned like not to fail. I don't know if you feel that way. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think, you know, we we can talk from a South Asian community perspective because we've been born into it, but I think that's rife in so many different communities, but just bringing it back to the South Asian community specifically, because there'll be different reasons that different communities feel it. But I think for South Asians, it's, again, it's about, you know, look at what so-and-so is doing. Look at this person, what they're doing, you know, got to keep up appearances and we're not allowed to show weakness. And there's that gets ingrained in you from a very young age. I think the fact, you know, most of our parents are immigrants and they know that they have to work really, really hard to get where they want to get to. It was life or death for them when they moved here. We're in a position where we've been born and raised in a westernized country. We don't have that same pressure right now that they had coming here thinking we have to make our life for ourselves. We cannot fail everything's riding on this. But that's generational mindset that gets passed down. On top of all that, I think there's a natural inferiority complex with South Asians, especially within, you know, if you look at India and being under the rule of someone else for so long, you're always having to prove yourself and show that you're worthy and show that you're good enough to these people that own you and rule you. And, but I think you know, what's keeping it going is there's so much competitiveness within the South Asian community and so much, look at what that person is doing and we need to be better than them. And therefore it puts so much pressure to be perfect at all times. It's, it's an impossible task. 
Exactly. And it's like going back to the whole thing about your intention. Like whenever someone does anything, why do I need to be compared to this person that we're all individuals? No two people are the same. So why are you putting all these expectations on everyone that is the same? And I don't feel like we should be in competition with one another, whether that's a podcast or a blog or even like being a doctor or whatever you want to do in your career. Like you should never feel like you're in competition with someone because you're different and you have your skills. And it's like embrace your uniqueness because like there's no one out there like you. That's so true. I mean, you know, that is so true. And what I find is logically people know this stuff, but, you know, emotionally it's a different kettle of fish. I think the funny thing about being a life coach is, you know, the words that you say to people, it's not really rocket science. You know, it's, there is skills and techniques. And of course, there's a lot of psychology that goes in there. I'm not downplaying what I do. But what I'm saying is that naturally we all kind of know the right things to say to people. But that's not where the problem is. The problem's in the emotion. The problem's not in the knowing. The problem's in the feeling. Because we know, like, we can sit here and talk about, you know what, everybody's unique and everybody should celebrate each other's success and why are we competing? Well, why are we doing all those things and why they exist is because of the emotion behind it. You know, it's the emotional thing that we need to get right. It's the working on those bits. The logic is there for everybody. Everybody gets this. The people who don't get it are the people who are probably not worth spending your time with anyway, but there's people who do get it and there's a collective consciousness that we share and that we know the right thing to do, but we have to emotionally get it as well. That's so true. And the one thing that I actually really want to talk to you about was how in the hell did you get into being a life coach? That is so cool. Um, you know, it's a good question and what a lot of people ask me often, and there's so many components to why. One of the reasons was, I think, um, there's a, like a lot of mental health issues in my family. So it was kind of like, I want to understand that more. And, you know, I want to know how to get out of it because I didn't really get it. I was like, depression's a, you know, it's a, it's a huge thing and it still is and it's real. But I wanted to know, like, is that just something that you're born with and that you have and you can't really do anything about it? Or is it something that you could do about it? And that really made me interested in it because seeing how bad it is for people in my own family, it's really scared me actually when I was younger thinking, I don't want to go through that. I don't understand how someone can have from the outside everything going for them, you know, great family, great career, great life. We're not really lacking anything, but still be depressed. How does that work when there's people out there who have nothing you know, by the same measures and they're happy. So it's obviously not about the things you've got or the situation you're in. It's obviously something more than that. And I really wanted to find out the answer to that question. And one of the major reasons why I kind of got into this whole thing was because of all the failures and the fuck-ups in my own life and the amount of times where I was down and upset and depressed and can't find a way forward and not knowing what to do next and wanting to learn more. I've always been interested in how things work. And I was like, okay, I want to figure out how this mind stuff works. Saying all that, that journey is not complete. Life is a continual journey and, you know, stress and hard times are going to come. Like there's, there's no escaping it. And for me, it's like, okay, I, I want to learn this stuff so I can help myself and help others life coach is one of those things where people automatically hear it and think, wow, that's amazing. Like your life must be great all the time. It's not. You learn skills to help yourself grow, but it's a continual work in progress. Now, I'm very similar to you in the sense that I love knowing how things work. And I'm that kid. I was that kid that asked why all the time. And I'm still that adult that asks why all the time. It bugs me when I don't know it. So then I'll Google it and then I'll be like, but why is that? 
And why is that? And I, and it, that's how I really got into mindset. It was how I was just questioning why. And I was a bit like, the one thing that I really don't know how it works is our brains. Why am I feeling this certain emotion? Or why am I thinking like this? And then the more you read into it, the more you start reading about like trauma or you start reading about conditioning or self-consciousness. And it's so interesting, like super, super interesting. It's fascinating. I mean, it's one of the things that I love the most is like every day is a school day. You work with different people, you hear different stories and something just clicks and makes sense that never made sense before. Or it's a beautiful thing to be able to help someone along their journey and assist in any way or lend a hand or coach them or mentor them or do your bit. You know, it's a real honor and a pleasure to do that. And it's a journey and it's a chess game. And, you know, there's steps forward, there's steps back. There's, you know, sometimes you think you've really got it. And sometimes you think you just haven't got it at all. And but it's all part of the, the larger journey. And, and that's the thing is there's no straight line here. There's, there's no, this is it. This, if you do this one thing, everything's going to be fine. It's, it's back and forward, left and right. It's ups and downs. It's just navigating your way through it. But like I say, it's trying to get yourself into a position where your ups are the majority of time and the downs that are inevitably going to come, you recover from them. It's not about not having the downs, it's about recovering from them. And I think a lot of times that so much stuff changes in life as well. Like, for example, we were talking about like lockdown and how our lives are drastically changed in 2020. But why is change like so important? It's one of those things where change is the scariest thing for people, for a lot of people, because it means when things change that they're not in control anymore. And if they're not in control, then like, oh my God, what am I going to do next? I can't plan. I can't do this. I can't do that. And control is about if this happens, I can do this and everything will be okay. But it's just not the nature of how life is. The control or the fixed mindset of I need to know how this stuff is going to go down so I can prepare for it. And the other mindset of I don't know how things are going to go down, but I'll deal with it when it comes and I'll learn from it. And those two different mindsets are fundamental, like to have a growth mindset, to have a mindset of, okay, no matter what happens, I'll learn from this. I'll take the lessons and I'll move forward is where we're striving to be. Because the problem with control is you're never going to get it. And you drive yourself crazy trying to get it. And it's the impossible dream of saying, I want to control this stuff and I want to know how it's going to work. And you know, if this goes like this, then it's fine. And if I do this, then this is going to happen. Because you chase that and you chase that and you chase that. And there'll be moments in your life where control works and then it'll get addictive. It's like, oh my God, it worked one time. So now if I do this again, this is going to happen and it doesn't happen. And then you're just constantly chasing control and it's exhausting. And unfortunately, we're just never going to get it. Yeah, that's very, very true. That's completely. But like you said, like with a growth mindset, it takes time to get there. I know for me, it's taken a lot of podcasts, a lot of books. A lot of stuff happening in my life to even get to like that growth mindset where I like now, I genuinely do feel like whatever happens, it happens for a reason. And going on gratefulness, when things don't work out the way I want it, I always am a bit sad. But then I'm like, thank God, because I could have ended up doing something really stupid or it, it would have ended up in tears or heartache, whatever it might be. And this is the one thing. When you make a mistake that you have made, you'll never make that mistake ever again because you know what it feels like when you made the mistake the first time. You never want to feel that emotion again. And that's something that I've really taken on. It's like, I'm never making that same mistake twice. Yeah, pain is an amazing teacher. We don't choose to go through it, but if you ask yourself the right question and you contemplate the pain and you study your pain 
there's so many lessons to have from that. I mean, again, it doesn't make it any easier. And I'm really keen to stress that it doesn't make these things easy because, you know, sometimes with mindset people or mindset things, you can come across really preachy, like, oh, everything, you know, just do this and do that, you know, and, you know, like pain's a great teacher. And it's like, it, it is, and all those things are true, but it's also really hard because, you know, I'm sure you've been there. There's times where it's like, yes, I need to learn a lesson from this heartache, but I don't want to go through this. And, you know, please take me out of this. I've got it. I get it. Like, I don't want to be in it. And, and like, it's, it's painful. It's really painful. But it's sometimes you, you have to drag yourself out of those situations and give yourself time. And even if it's painful, and even if you don't want to contemplate that question, what can I learn from this right now? Just have it in the back of your mind and gently let yourself heal and then get yourself to the point where you can focus on the answer to that question. What is it that you need to learn from this? But it's a process and there's no switch, is there? There's no like moment where you're like, okay, this painful thing's really happening for me. I know what I'll do right now. I'll put a smile on my face and ask myself what I should learn. You, you have to no. process the feelings that you're going through. No, yeah, exactly. Definitely. And I think that's one thing that a lot of people, I, I don't want to be sexist, but I feel like guys don't really process their emotions as much as girls. What? <laughs> I think that's the fairest stereotype that there is. I think it's a pretty safe one. I really don't want to stereotype because I know not all boys are like that. But as a majority, like for example, if I'm like the tiniest bit, like feeling a certain type of way, I've now got into the stage where I'm like, okay, I feel this certain type of way. I'm going to FaceTime my girls and I'm going to talk to them about it. Whilst with guys, I just feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, but they're just a bit like, you're right, you're right. Yeah, I'm good. You're right, cool. And then they like move on with their life, but then they brush it underneath. Why? Why do you guys do that? Well, I think you're right. And I just want to make a point. You're right. Because I've got friends that I've known for years and years and years and years and years. And I've classed them as like really great friends, like family members. And like, for some of them, not that it's a bad thing, but we probably never had that deep level discussion. We have loads of banter. We have loads of laughs. We drink together. We watch the football together, do all the guy stuff that you do. And we've enjoyed each other's company for decades but you know have we ever sat down and said you know what's going on with you are you good like you know are you, how's this going how's that stress going it's very surface level conversations and the reason for that i believe is because men don't like other men to give them a solution i think that there's a competitive nature with men that again not to stereotype and brush everyone with the same sort of feeling but masculine energy is about solution orientated being so if i for example, don't know something. It takes a lot of pride for me to say, I don't know the answer to this. Like, who can help me? It's a real, like, you know, the, we talked about ego earlier on. It's a big thing to come down off that pedestal and go, I'm going to reach out for someone else to help me. Because if I have to ask someone to help me, that means they know that I don't know what I'm doing. And for, but that's for okay. Guys, uh, yeah, I know. It is okay. And it takes, and it's a mindset to get yourself into that. But I think for guys, it's, a, it's really difficult. I mean, I work with couples a lot with coaching and I always am so in awe of a couple that comes to me, especially the guy who will sit there and let another guy tell him, this is where you're going wrong or this is what you could do better. Because I know how hard it must be for him to hear another guy in front of his partner tell him where it's going wrong. And that's what it comes down to for guys. I think women are naturally more collaborative. You, you know, you will express things and you solve problems, but through collaboration and through expressing of feelings. And the beautiful thing about women is they find solutions by exploring their emotions, where guys, 
find solutions by saying, okay, what do I need to do? Because it's like, you know, when couples are in a relationship and, and the women are saying like, oh, this happened at work today and oh, this thing happened that I'm struggling with. And a guy will say, well, why don't you do this? And that's not what a woman wants to hear. They just want to hear, you know what? How does that make you feel? Let me understand what you're feeling. But for guys, the mind is all about what's the solution? How do I get you from here to here? And for women, it's about, I don't want to get from here to here. I want to understand what I'm feeling because through that understanding, I'm processing it. And that's why guys, they brush everything under the carpet because for them, it's like, ah, if I can't have a solution to this, which is going to take me from place A to place B, I don't want to bring it up because it makes me look weak. That is so interesting because I kid you not, sometimes I just don't understand your gender, like at all. I have guy friends and I have to text them and be like, I don't understand your gender. Like, why do you do this? Like, can you just not be open and be like, I'm really having a run about boys right now. But no, it's, it's cool. It's cool. I think it needs to be said. It's like, can you just not communicate clearly? What is it with the games and like the this, that and the other? Like, I just can't. So that's sometimes like, it's really interesting to hear it from a guy's perspective because then I actually understand. Like now you told me, I was like, that is really interesting. Did not know that. And a lot of people listening probably did not know that either. Yeah, well, hopefully that sheds a little bit of light on some things for it. But, you know, like guys and and women are as well, both very complex creatures and, you know, but come at things from different perspectives completely and different pressures on guys and, 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 and women. Like I'm quite a sensitive soul and that was really difficult for me to understand. And it's something that, you know, like it's still difficult sometimes when you're surrounded by very masculine men. My dad's a man's man and and I, I struggled for years thinking like, that's what I'm supposed to be like, but I'm really like sensitive and emotional about things, which is seen as feminine. I don't understand. Like I'm supposed to be this big, tough, tough guy like my dad. And I'm not, I'm like, you know, I'm my version of being a man. And like, it's difficult because, you know, we talk about South Asian community, there's, there's expectations of what a man should be. And that's sometimes, you know, depending on who you're brought up by, that can be a real pressure as well. In the same way that there's loads of pressure on what a woman should be by the definition of the South Asian society and, you know, is stifling from both sides. I really feel for women and what they have to go through and the pressure and the expectations that's placed on the shoulder just as much as I feel for the guys and the pressure and the expectation that we have, which is a lot less. And I'll say that out loud, the women go through a lot more than the guys go through in our community, for sure. 100% agree with you there. But I think the one thing that is spoken about quite a lot is the expectation on women. And it's really sad to think that something that someone has not chosen defines a set of expectations that I did not choose to be a woman, right? But yeah, there's all these expectations on me. But that's always really spoken about. The thing that's really not spoken about is the expectation on guys within the South Asian community, or actually, no, expectation on guys everywhere. But what are the expectations on boys? Because there are expectations. Definitely. And you're right. I think like, you know, we talk about the South Asian community, but this is so applicable to, to everyone. everyone yeah. one of those. I think, you know, for guys, it's to be the provider, you know, quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes, to be the provider, to know the answers to everything, to get things right, to be able to take care of your partner, you know, look after things, be the man, be masculine, stand out enough. You know, there's, think about it. I know we're evolved as species right now, but there's still within the masculine gender there is that need to be the alpha male. I've got to stand out within my peer group. I've got to be someone because if I don't, you know, going back to the animal kingdom and even, you know, prehistoric times, you don't get chosen if you're not the man, if you're not the alpha male, you don't get chosen if you're not the successful one. And back in human history, 
the successful one meant you're the strongest one or you're the one who could provide for your family. But if you just take that concept of you need to be the best or you need to stand out and you bring that to 2020 and you think, okay, it's not about physical strength now. It's about professional success and it's about physical look and it's about who you are and what you do and what you're capable of. Because if you're not capable and you're in a group of 10 guys, you aren't going to get picked. But imagine that's the kind of pressure that guys are dealing with a lot of like, you have to stand out and make yourself seen. You know, it's like, um, I always use this example. It's like, if a girl goes to a bar, she could pretty much guarantee she's going to be chatted up by five, six guys on a regular night. Guys are going to approach her. That doesn't happen the other way around. Like you have to think the guy's doing the other bit. The guy's doing the, okay, I'm going to approach her. And what if she rejects me? She looks really cool, but you know, she probably gets approached all the time. So what's different about me? How am I going to stand out? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It rarely happens the other way around where a girl will approach a guy in a bar. And that's for a number of reasons. But it's hard work to be a guy. You've got to always have the solution. You have to act like things don't get to you. You have to stand out amongst your peers. It's a super competitive gender. Do you know, like when you're saying about like the providing stuff, obviously it's 2020 now and things have definitely shifted in terms of more equal, like say in relationships, for example, like the guy and the girl both work. Do you think that's affected the male mindset a bit when it comes to being the provider? Because they're now not the sole provider of their family. I think that it, it can have an impact, but I think that if that relationship is based on that, one of the keys to that is the professional thing, then maybe there'll be like a bit of a, attention because of competitiveness in that. That's definitely possibly true. And it is true in some of the relationships I've seen. But I think that what negates that is polarity in a relationship. So having masculine and feminine energy, that doesn't mean having a man and a woman. That just means that there's different energies in that relationship because you could get the guy who's more feminine and the girl who's more masculine, or you could get a same sex couple and they have masculine and feminine energy between them. I think as long as it's not two competing energies, then you get into a situation where you can find balance. And again, like whatever that is, heterosexual, homosexual, whatever relationship, there needs to be some sort of difference of energy in that relationship to bring balance to it. Because if there's two masculine figures, so, you know, like if there's two people that are super driven, super competitive, want to have the solution all the time, you can imagine what that relationship's going to be yeah, like. Yeah, they always like complement each other. It would just yeah, bite, exactly. bite heads. They'll be butting heads completely. So it's always good to have the balance in a relationship. If you don't have that balance with the world being where it is right now, where it's such a good place because women can do anything that guys can do and do it much better in a lot of places as well, that we're in a place where it's great that you can be with a woman who doesn't think that they have to be stifled by society and they can do what they want and they can have their amazing career and they can go after it and it's celebrated and it should be celebrated. But knowing that you can also share a balance of energy with that person that's a great thing. That can only be a great thing. No, definitely. It is a great thing. And I don't know, like, do you believe that like everyone has masculine and feminine energies inside them? Yeah, I do. I think that one's more dominant than the other. And, but I think everybody has them. I think a lot of people do a good job at blocking that part of them off. Because maybe like from a guy's perspective, it's seen as a negative if you're too feminine. And maybe from a female's perspective, it's you're seen as too masculine. It's like, oh, you know, what are you doing those kind of things for? Why are you so driven? Why are you so dedicated? Why do you want to do these things? It's not very feminine to do that. And you stifle it within yourself because it's not accepted by society. But I think we all do have both parts for sure. I have a question. So you know how there's a lot of pressure on guys, especially when it comes to relationships, like guys have to make the first move, guys need to pay for the first day, guys got to do this, guys got to do that. 
what goes through like a guy's head? Actually, I actually really want to know this. So one of the biggest debates that I've had on my podcast is who pays for the first date. And I think it's become a thing where it's like the guy should pay or the girl should pay. Basically, I think it should be split. But what goes through a guy's head when the bill comes? Are you thinking, shit, I have to pay for this? That's a good question. And I'm trying to represent guys right now on behalf of all guys. But I can only kind of give you like my feelings on it. I'm sure there'll be some guys that disagree, but I'm cool if it's 50-50, but I feel like I should pay for it. And that's because it's like, I want to take someone out and treat them well. I want to give to them and I want to like make sure they've had a good time. And I feel like that's a natural thing for a guy to do, to pick up the bill and go, I've got this light, I'm taking you out and and I want to show you that. But I think that it's nice when someone's like, oh, let's split it. Because I think that's really cool and it's really nice. I think that like from a guy's perspective, it's it's kind of different to get your head around that. I'd never go thinking we should split this. I'd always go thinking I'll pay for it. But if you want to split it, that's also really cool. Mm, That's so interesting because the other way, like I know certain people where it is a bit of a turn off if they don't pay, but then it, it goes back to expectations. You're right. It's about expectations. It's about our preconceived ideas of what should happen on a first day. It means different things to different people. So if you're that kind of person where you think if a guy doesn't pay, it means this, it means that he's cheap or it means that he's not serious about this or he's, it's it's an insight. Yeah. Or a mommy's boy. It's an insight into how he's going to treat me. If he can't even pick up the first check, then how's he going to treat me for the relationship? It's about expectations. You're right. It's about what that means to you. If you've got the mindset of, no, I want to do this because I want us to be equal. I want to be treated in the same way that I would expect him to treat me then it's a different mindset. So it does definitely come down to expectation. But I think as an ingrained thing for a guy, you kind of expect him to pick up the check on the first date. Yeah, I think it's always so weird. Like the way people actually debate about this, I'm like, you don't owe each other anything. You're literally like seeing each other for the first time. Like it's cool. Yeah, yeah. Good rule to be, just split it. From the outright, someone just say, look, it's the first date. Let's just split it. I guess if someone said that and someone reacted in a negative way, kind of a good insight that that probably isn't the right relationship anyway. Exactly. But the other thing that I really wanted to ask was like, you know, now we're definitely in this generation where girls and guys, I feel like when it comes to like asking people out on dates and stuff like that, there's a shift in asking. Whilst before it was always like the guy had to ask the guy out on a date. Whilst now girls can ask guys out on a date as well. Like it's fine. But do you feel like for a guy, do you find it weird if a girl asks you out on a date? No, I think it's really nice. You know, like I was saying earlier about it's so hard for a guy and, and this is the word really, it's so hard for a guy to feel accepted. And I think deep down, we all want acceptance, guys, girls, anyone, everybody's looking for acceptance, but the fear of rejection when you approach someone is massive. I just think that it's such a nice thing if someone says, you know what, like, I really like you, like, would you like to go out sometime? That I think that's great. And I, I encourage girls to do that safely you know, because you don't want to do it with a dickhead who's going to take advantage of that. You know, you want to make sure that the guy's a nice person, safety first always, and, you know, know who you're asking out. I think that's a really nice thing for someone to say, you know what, like I'm going to break through these gender stereotypes and I'm not going to stand in a corner and hope and wait that you're going to make the first move and put that pressure on you. I'm going to say, look, there's an attraction, there's a, there's a feeling, there's, there's an energy here, and I'm going to pursue that. I think that's such a mature, beautiful way of doing things from both sides. And if women have the confidence to break through that, you don't do that kind of thing, the guy should come to you. That's great. The way I see it is that how are you ever going to know? I feel like the whole lot of asking people out has become so complicated where it's like, it should be, do you like me? Yes. Okay. Do you want to go out? That's it. Full stop. 
But now it's like the messaging and then it's like, no, you have to wait a couple of hours for your message. And then the people leave you blue ticked and then they reply two days later when everyone's on their phones 24 seven. Like that's the bit that I don't understand. It's like, why have you overcomplicated it so much? It's like either tell me you like me or you don't so that I can move on. It's like people have just made it so much harder for themselves. But it's true. I mean, like the games are horrific. Like they're horrible. You know, when do you reply? Do you leave it? Do you don't leave it? You know, this, this, this. Just honesty is always the best way forward. Because, you know, like we we're talking earlier about control as well. There's some stupid version of control in that. Like if I don't text you back for two hours, it's going to make you want me more. Not really. Uh, who's standard? Is that your version of control? Be your authentic self. If you're on your phone and you message and you reply, and that person then judges you for replying so quick, that judgment's on them. If you did it with the right intention, again, you did it with the right intention. If you did it out of neediness, if you did it out of insecurity, then yes, probably wrong. But if you're doing it out of, I'm on my phone and I want to talk to you, so I'm sending you a message because I'm interested in you. Your intention's pure. Just do what's right for you. That is so true. And that's a great piece of advice that I feel like I will definitely take forward as well. Because I think we are all guilty of it. It's like you'll be on your phone and like there'll be a bunch of text messages like, okay, I can't reply to this right now, but I'm on my phone. Because you do want to give time to like reply back. But if it's like two messages and I'll be like, yeah, whatever, like I'll, I'll message back. It's not that deep. So yeah, I just think the games just genuinely just need to stop. Especially now, like the whole way of dating is like dating online and like there's literally the weirdest people online. It's tough, definitely is. It's not easy to meet people who don't want to play games. It's not easy to meet people who have good intentions. It takes a lot of resilience and a lot of mental strength to be in the dating game, you know, because there's a lot of fear in there. There's a lot of potential things that can go wrong. So it's, you know, hats off to anyone who's on the grind because it is, it's, it's not an easy thing to be involved in. So no, I've actually loved this conversation. Like I had a plan of like everything we were going to talk about. We spoke about nothing, but we had such a good conversation. I've seen the list and we haven't covered any of those questions. <laughs> we haven't covered any of good. it. But I actually love this conversation so much just because it was just like, I genuinely just had a chat and it was so great. Like I loved it. So the thing that I always do when I have guests is I do a bunch of like quick fire questions, just really snappy. So are you ready? So like right. no thinking, just answer, yeah? No thinking, just answer. Okay, got you. All right. Favorite football team? I have to think about this. And the reason why, the reason why is because I don't really have a favorite football team. I love football. But I wouldn't say I have a favourite. If I had to choose, I'd say Barcelona. Nice. Spring or summer? Spring. Christmas or Halloween? Christmas. Can't wait for Christmas. Although it's not really going to be a Christmas. Can't wait to be indoors for Christmas. With nowhere to yeah. go. Um, favourite food? Indian food. What else could I say? Has to be. Has to be. Favourite holiday? Ooh, favourite holiday, Japan. Oh my God, I would love to go to Japan. Japan's amazing technology wise is unbelievable and you know what i loved about japan is like everywhere i've been in the world the majority of people will accommodate english or there'll be someone who speaks english really really well and you know you go to spain everyone speaks english japan was the first place where i felt like a foreigner for the first real time because i don't speak the language not many people speak english plus you walk down a shop and every signs in japanese you have no idea what that shop is selling or what's going on in that shop Whereas in, in other countries, you can kind of figure it out. But Japan's an amazing place and a wonderful culture. And the people there, are they're great people. I've got such great memories of Japan. Can't wait to go. When we're allowed to travel again, Japan has been like on my to-go list. The yeah, same as like Australia as well. It's great as well. It's a beautiful, that's another great place. I miss traveling. <laughs> Me too. Okay, next question. Sweet or savory? Sweet. 
Chocolates or sweets? Chocolates. Are you going to say sweets? Depends which sweets. I don't know. I actually have so many. <laughs> I literally have such a sweet tooth. It's really bad. I love Skittles. I actually love Skittles. Yeah, Skittles, Skittles are great. I like the sour, the sour Skittles. Oh, no, I'm an original girl. Like, just the original Skittles. To I was obsessed with Starbucks. mindset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so my growth mindset is me that I eat sour Skittles. Um, cooking or baking? Neither. But if I had to, then cooking. Okay. And finally, what is one quote that you live by? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, it's changed for me over time. It used to be, it's not what you go through, it's how you go through it. And that really means a lot to me. I think as I'm evolving and recently, it's also, I think it's a Bible quote, but I think it's amazing. It's like live by faith, not by sight, because I think that's so important sometimes. We are not going to understand everything that we see. We're going to see things that are upsetting, that are painful in our life. But the faith part of that is that there is a lesson in it, that there is a way forward from it, that there is a greater path that can come out of this. I really, really love that. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast and finally getting the chance to record with me. Yeah, I know. I know. It's, it's been a great conversation. I've enjoyed every minute of it. It's flown. The time's flown. That's how you know it's a good conversation when you can't even tell like what the time is. Yeah, no, for sure. It's been great. And like, I'm sure we'll do a part two down the line somewhere. 100%. a wrap ding 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 i hope you enjoyed that episode you can follow sunil on social media at sunil mac coaching i've linked it down below so if you want to check it out also don't forget next week bonus episode follow me on social media etc etc i'm going to keep this short because i've already taken an hour of your time okay bye